Hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. Hey, Richard. Hey, Mike. Hey, Richard. Hey, Matt. (laughs) Would y'all like to do a podcast? Yeah. Sure. Let's do it. Welcome to Hacking the Grepson, where... uh, Today we have a special guest. Special guest, introduce yourself. I am uh, Richard. I am a software engineer, uh, like all the present. Um, I do a bunch of stuff related to tools for fusion research. Um, Ooh. So that 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 is that is what I do. Okay, that's a uh, that's fancy. Well, I don't think I've ever used any kind of fusion or fission in my career. How about you, Matt? Uh, nope. Some, some nuclear power, I guess, was maybe on some of the stuff when I was working for a defense contractor, but I didn't work with it. I, I suppose at the research institution that I work at, there might be some fusion or fission going on, but I am not responsible for it. So There, there definitely is because I have a contract with where you work, and oh. it, is, it is fusion related. Wow. All of the, all, all of the, the timelines are, are lining up here. Yeah. Um, so uh, today on the show, we're going to talk about Advent of Code again, um, but with our with our guest, Richard, who has been doing it with us. You may have remembered uh, us mentioning him here and there as we talked about the previous uh, days, but now he's here in the quote-unquote studio with us, so uh, we're really happy to have him here and get another uh, direct line on the insanity that is... Uh, helping elves make Christmas happen. Um, I mean, we're recording this in 2024, so Advent of Code 2023 is done, but that doesn't mean we can't still talk about it. So we figured we would wrap up the final uh, 16 days, uh, 11 to 25, since we did 1 through 10 already, and uh, we're just going to go over some problems and figure out some some blocks falling and some uh, mirroring lines and communication dishes and I don't know man I it's honestly it's been a few weeks since I've looked at these I I can't even remember some of them but uh I guess it'll all come back to me as we go over it so um Richard since you're uh new to the podcast today would you like to take the first day that's day 11 right yep day 11 so day 11 was cosmic expansion and the elves are in an observatory and they are looking out to try and find the distance between these. What, what, let's see, what are they looking for? Galaxies, I think. Galaxies. Oh, yeah, there's a bunch of different galaxies and the, the, the universe is expanding. And for some reason, they need to find the distance between these galaxies. And so wherever there is empty space, the universe is expanding. And so you need to. You need to go and find what they called the shortest distance, which would to bite me a bit later, but um, be- between each of these. Because originally I thought it was going to be a pathfinding problem, and it most definitely was not. Yeah, I had that same sort of reaction when I first saw it. I think you, I think you even said, no, no, it's not, it's not that bad. It's the, what is it, taxi distance or something silly like that? Yeah, the taxi, taxi cab distance. distance between galaxies. It's, yeah. it's not, not a graph problem. Not a graph problem. Well, that's because it was only day 11. 
but <laughs> I, I, I yeah, feel so like later. later, yeah, I feel like later days, that's when the graph analysis comes up. So, so how, how did you, how did you handle this, Richard? Cause I'm trying to remember how I did it. So I, I basically went through and I moved each of the galaxies that were before a certain threshold in, um, the, uh, that, that direction, like in a negative direction. And this would, it would, this is whenever they would not, there would be like blank space in between an entire row or column of galaxies. And, uh, then afterward, I just took the location, their new locations, the galaxies, and found all the distances and added them up and submitted them. Make it sound so easy. Hmm. <laughs> uh, what about you, Matt? I'm trying to figure out what I meant by this note. Uh, <laughs> uh, I found this one, like, when I first read it, it seemed it seemed pretty daunting. Again, similar reasons to what Richard said about, like, oh, no, shortest paths. I, as soon as I see that, if, I, if the word Dykstra pops into my head, I'm like, do I really want to do this right now? Um, but it, it turned out not to be that. Um, yeah, which was, someone which messaged nice. me, like, that was also on our leaderboard that was like, hey, did you use the Dykstra's algorithm? I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're misreading this problem. Um, I ended up doing the expansion with math on the overall universe size and each individual galaxy location rather than actually having a grid. I think I tried to make a grid at one point and went, oh, that's going to get real big real fast. Um, and so then I just ended up uh, <laughs> with math um, and and calculating locations of individual galaxies. If I tried to have the location of the individual space um, – Space the empty space tiles. That's where it got kind of screwed up, at least for part one. I, I did a similar thing in, but I actually did go with the grid option, making a grid. Which of course, yeah. When we get to part two, uh, because part two is big numbers, which you know that's often part two in Advent of Code, where you spend all the time trying to come up with an algorithm. But if it's not optimal, then part two throws much bigger numbers at you that kill your algorithm, which is what happened to me. But Go ahead, Richard. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to mention, this is the one, I believe, where you had the uh, festive screenshot, right, Matt? Uh, I think so. I was looking back at my at my picture. Yeah, I've got like red, white, green, blue, and purple, or magenta, I yeah. think, technically. I don't remember Even, what uh... any of the colors other than green represented. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what Wait, it is. I... It was green was the individual galaxies, and then red was if I expanded a column, Blue was if mm. I expanded a uh, row, and purple was if it was both, so that I didn't double count. Yes, <laughs> and and I I followed through with that as well. It, if for nothing else, it's pretty. Yeah. So part two, we we, we we're but we're all alluding to the big number of part two. Uh, did that bite anybody in the butt? There was a couple bits of uh, logic errors, I guess, that I had in my <laughs> in in my code yeah. since I just had a. Uh, increased by one uh, mm-hmm. when I was expanding in the previous and uh, it actually needed to like double in size the, the distance between things. And I just think I got lucky. And then of course I had, I had some other off by one error and, and then I think uh, as an optimization, I had to switch over to uh, using multiplication instead of addition going along with the whole doubling in size thing. Uh, but overall yeah. it ended up being relatively straightforward given how I did part one. How about you guys? For for part two, I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but it, you were supposed to go 
Oh, it wasn't actually one unit that the space is expanding. It's one million units that it's it's, it's a million times more uh, that it is expanding. And um, my main issue here was originally I added one and uh, did not think of it as doubling instead of like um, I, I think thought of it as adding instead of doubling. And so for mm-hmm. part two where it's a million, I tried multiplying it by a million and that did not work because you really needed to do it by 999,999. Uh, so fun off by one error. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are always great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and also like, as I mentioned, the big number, if you try to do it like kind of the naive, just adding instead of multiplying, yeah, you run out of uh, the, the solution won't run in, in a reasonable amount of time. So as something that I learned from a previous one or maybe a later one, I don't know. These all kind of congeal in my head now of uh, knowing that you really just need the the edges of it, like the min and max of what, what, what you're looking at and disregard all the stuff in the middle. And then doing some kind of equation to find the difference between that uh, is what got me the answer. But I, I'm pretty sure I didn't, I didn't come up with that. I had to find that. Uh, I spent a lot of time on the subreddit this year for sure. Um, but I did, but I think I did get it eventually. Cool. And, and I also made a class called universe. What, yeah, that, what about that, your classes? That was my class, my universe class. Yeah. I've noticed that most people do not build classes, uh, when they do these, but I just think object orientedly, I can't help it. Well, if you, and you've infected me this year, well, <laughs> infected sounds negative, but you, you've inspired me because yeah, I also never made classes and now several of my solutions have classes in them. And so, uh, I, I, I don't know what to say. That's just how it is now. I, I have classes, but they aren't like what you would call good object-oriented programming. Like I have Elf Problem 1 and Elf Problem 2 as classes that both <laughs> inherit from Advent of Code Puzzle that does a bunch mm. of like preliminary work for me <laughs> um, automatically, like grabbing the data and... Um, inserting them in uh, and doing some common parsing that I often have to do, like uh, either separating it by line or inserting it into a grid or stuff like that. Um, And, (laughs) but my actual, I I don't have an actual like uh, universe class for this. I just made a uh, method in my elf problem. that was like make a galaxy map. Yeah, I find I think most of my main reason that I end up with uh, besides just it's the way I think that I end up making classes is uh, it allows me to do things like print it out at any given moment um, because I just have a like two string function or the equivalent of it in Python, which is just double underscore stir double underscore. Um, and that way I can just print it out whenever I want. And that's how I did my visualizations. But uh, I think you probably I think you said you write them to a file or something and then post process that, don't you? Yeah, I have a like a dot vis uh, function in the advent of code class that everything inherits from. And so if I'm using the um, data structures that I typically use, which I have like a, a grid class and a graph, uh, which actually inher- the grid class actually inherits from the graph. Um, and so if it's in one of those formats and I do a dot vis, it will pipe it out to a, um, there's a program called open SCAD. And, um, hmm. this is mostly used for people like doing things like building parts or 3d printing. And the interface is code. 
And so basically I write this code to write code that then allows me to open this, open it in this application and I see all the cubes in, in 3D and whatnot. Wow. That sounds cool. I, want, I feel like I want to check that out now. Yeah, um, I actually, for one of the problems, I posted the code that writes the code. So if you ever want to go and uh, plug that in. Very cool. I, I can tell that this is, uh, the software has been around for a while because it still refers to Mac OS X. <laughs> um, and, and also just looking, like it looks like it was built in, uh, was it GTK? Kind Probably. Of, yeah, just, just it is open just source, all... but I have never actually looked at the source. <laughs> you know, th- those things that that uh, that are cross platform always tend to have that GTK look uh, if they're not Electron, uh, and this would probably not be a good thing to write using Electron. Um, <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah, thanks for that note. So should we move on to day twelve? Yeah, Matt, you wanted to take that one. Uh, sure. I definitely have nothing for this. I think this might have been the most infamous problem, at least in to, up to this point. So I'm not oh, going to have much to say about it. This yeah. one ruined um, my life. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> well, having a lot of problems. With this. So the, the basic problem here, it's called hot springs on day 12. And, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of hot springs and some of them are broken. And so you've got this, this map of the hot springs that shows you which springs are operational and which ones are broken if i remember correctly and then after that there's some like um basically like error correction bits where it says uh it's a list of contiguous of the number of contiguous broken springs or something like that um in a row so you'd have like one one three is in their example that means you have one broken spring and then another broken spring and then three broken springs and then we have to figure out uh, oh, there's some errors in it. So find find the errors using all of this. Uh, I think was basically what it was. And then there, uh, and then so what we actually had to do was calculate. Well, okay, there's more than we might not know some of these because there's also question mark uh, that would show up in the grid, and that meant we don't know if this is a broken spring or not. And so then what we had to do was look at the uh, the map and the error correction stuff and figure out how many possible arrangements there could be for each row. That was, uh, it was a real pain. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, I'll I'll just give my thoughts on it real quick and then we can go around. Parsing was fairly straightforward. I made a class called condition record to operate on each row. I had a big recursion method um, that I ended up having to make a class method to translate question marks into dots and hashes so that I could try to figure all these things out. And then I verified every possible string from the above recursive method and then split it up by the, uh, the non or the empty tiles or the non broken tiles, whatever dot was. Uh, and then I could compare that against the results that I got. And I was able to come up with it. It was, uh, not exactly efficient for part one at all. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of did, did it similarly. Instead of a recursive function, I did do it iteratively where I, there's all of the unknown ones are marked with a question mark. And so for every question mark, I for part one anyway, I tried every single possibility of question marks and I had a matching function. So I would just go and see, does this fit? Does this fit? Does this fit? Does this exactly. fit? Exactly. Et cetera. 
And I knew that it, whatever part two was, it, that was not going to work, even as I was writing it. <laughs> because, like, part one has taken a good minute to five minutes to run. This is not, this is not going to work for part two. Yeah, I had, it, I had very similar. Um, Mike, you said you didn't get to part one on this one? No, uh, so I th- th- I will just say this. Uh, the reading of the problem made my eyes glaze over. Uh, <laughs> a lot like day five with, uh, with the seed growing thing. Um, and I even looked at a solution slash tutorial someone had written on Reddit for this. And I said, I'm still not sure how it works. Uh, so, yeah, this was a big old failure for me. I just skipped it. So you guys, I, I am curious to see what part two is. So please spoil that. So part two, uh, they're like, oh, no, the map was folded up. It's actually five times bigger or something like that. Ah, big numbers. <laughs> yeah, so make it bigger. And that instantly killed my solution for part one. I was just like, no, this is never going to finish. Um, I, I ended up doing dynamic programming, which I just, I don't enjoy writing dynamic programming. I, it's counterintuitive. Now, can you explain what you mean by that? It's where you, like, make the problem smaller, basically. And then solve mm-hmm. it smaller so that it, it reminds me of doing proofs by induction in math, but kind mm. of in reverse is the closest I can come up with how to describe that. Uh, I don't like it. I tried it first just memoizing my recursive uh, function. So just storing state, right? Like, okay, when it mm-hmm. looks like this, it's this. And it didn't help. And so then I, I think I, I think I looked online to see what people were doing. I was like, oh, yeah, dynamic programming, fine. And I broke it down and, and did something with that. I would have to actually go dig through my code to figure out what was wrong or what I did specifically. But it was uh, definitely had to get rid of my recursive function. What about you, Richard? So this this one is probably the problem that I spent the most time on because there were literal hours at a time where I thought that I was five minutes away from solving it. Yeah. Um. I knew that the initial way wasn't going to work. And so I devised what I ended up calling the the wiggle method where, (laughs) um, where basically I would go and I would try and find the first location where each group would fit furthest to the left and then take each of the, um, groups and move, uh, the, the furthest one to the right one to the right, and then go back through each of the uh, previous groups and try and see if they could move to the right, etc. cetera. Uh, and this ended up branching a bit too, um, where one can move to the right and then maybe a, an earlier one can move one or two to the right. And so for the one or the two in that group, each previous group can then has to go and to be determined if it can move to the right, etc. And this was way faster but not fast enough. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I actually so, looked back at my solution. Turns out I did not get part two for this one. I, I never, <laughs> I never got to the point of it. I, I, in fact, when I came back from my trip, I looked on my whiteboard and this was the problem that, that I'd been trying to figure <laughs> out. So I'm glad you managed to make it work. Yeah. So then after that, um, I had like, Oh, geez. Let me scroll through my solution. I have 600 lines of code for this. Oof. Um, most of which ended up not being used in my final solution. I think there's about 
one or 200 lines of code that actually was used. Um, but I went through trying to find, um, like, when you move it to the right, um, like, how much, where do I have to do the cutoff and where do I have to like do the substring and everything like that? And eventually it got so complicated that I just like, I am just going to rewrite this. And uh, it was my rewrite where um, it basically worked by um, taking each possible location of the group and finding all of the solutions left of the group and um, for each of those, I would cache them. And it still worked in the way that the wiggle method worked, except that for all of the subsol, except that it divided it into um, subsolutions to the left uh, and had to cache those subsolutions. But it still needed to go and move things slowly to the right and wiggle along, essentially. Um, and that, that move, that, that ran essentially instantly. Um, so it went from being that I could not even solve the sample problems with the original method to being able to solve the sim- uh, to almost being able to solve the sample problems with the original w- wiggle method to being able to solve it essentially instantly with uh, the divide and wiggle and conquer. <laughs> divide and Man, and conquer. if only if only uh, some of the great war. Uh, generals of the past knew about the divide, wiggle, and conquer method. Yes, exactly. Uh, Love it. And wow. for a little while, like I thought I might be able to do it with my original wiggle method. Um, if I, because I, I looked at the sample data and um, I, d- if you do it for um, a, a subset of the unfolding, then y- it follows a pattern where um, each one, it was a, uh, it was a different multiple, but it was a multiple of the previous solution. And so I'm like, oh, all I have to do is like go three in and I can mm-hmm. find that. But it, it turned out that, that worked for the sample data, but not the actual data. And so that was a very disappointing. I was going to say, this definitely felt like a year where there was a lot more you need to go in and look at the actual data and find the pattern that's in the data uh, and not like do the algorithm that it's telling. Like you have to, you can make assumptions based on what's in the data than than in past years. I, I might be imagining things, but that was when you were describing. Yeah, and I, like, and oh, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was going to be this after my initial, uh, after my second attempt failed. But um, as I was running that, I wrote my third attempt, and that was fine. Nice. So I, I was trying to I was trying to use my second attempt to make more predictions about the data, and um, even I, I think it's a total of five times longer than it, that the actual result needed to be, um, but it wasn't sufficient to do the three times longer because of the initial offset, and my four times longer was taking forever. And um, I still wasn't 100% sure because it was because all the original data did actually work with just three iterations. Anyway, it was a mess and it ruined my life and uh, it was horrible. <laughs> At least you got it done. But it, yeah, I did get it done. I, I'm curious, like, uh, I think Matt and I have only done this year, 2022 and 2021, at least actively as it was happening. But have you done... Previous years, uh, as they were happening, or only after the fact? 
So I have done exactly one more year than you guys during. Um, okay. I, my first year was 2020 for, and, for doing it live. Okay. And would you, uh, would you say that this is like one of the hardest of the four years you've done? Because the, the amount of like chatter that this one created online seems like a lot for this year, but I don't know if it compares to all previous years. This was definitely the most difficult year, at least for me. Okay. I think um, that my, my theory is that they ramped up the difficulty because of people using AI or expecting people were going to use AI. Um, and they were like, okay, how can we make it so that they can't? And now made it so that my uh, non-artificial intelligence couldn't do it either. I, I've heard that. <laughs> I've heard that too, but I, I haven't seen any response from Eric Wastel, the creator, one way or another. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, for a couple of the previous years, like I've been, I, I tried to get my kids to do it, um, mm-hmm. and like it. I mean, basically, I would go and hover over their shoulder, and they would try and figure out the logic, and I would help them with like any sort of syntax and whatnot that they needed. And this year, after doing the first problem, like this is not going to work. I, I just, I'm not even going to try and have them do it this year. Yeah. I like the difficulty of like the first half of the, of, of each year usually. And then the second half I'm like, no. And this one, I felt like I hit that wall a little earlier. Yeah. I, I went back, uh, when this year was over, I went back and I'm still sort of on and off trying, uh, 2015, which I had started probably after last year's event just to kind of like see what the difference is. And it's interesting to see how it's, it's not just in your mind. Like this year, the, the, the difficulty ramp is definitely different. Uh, Cause I've gotten through the first, except for like maybe one problem that I had to skip. Uh, I've gotten through the first like 12 or 13 of 2015. And there was definitely nothing with this level of difficulty, especially even just on part one. Um, so it's definitely getting harder. He's getting more intricate at writing the, the problems. It was interesting. A lot of the 2015 ones, the input is not even like a link. Usually the input is like a link to a, a, a file full of stuff. Uh, several of those are like literally on the page. Like you don't even oh. have to click because the input is so simple. It's just like here's, you know, it's like find out the next password in the series based on these rules and here's your password as opposed to find out, you know, the next hundred password you know, increases or something. So what is the 10 yeah. millionth password that you might encounter? Exactly. I mean, he did, there is like a, like an MD five kind of hashing problem, which, you know, definitely could have an optimization thing, but it's still just find the next thing in this one or something. But anyway, let's, uh, let's move over to the next day, which hopefully did not ruin Richard's life. Um, and that's day 13, which is called the point of incidents. Um, now, this one, uh, I, I definitely put in some work on it. I was not able to get it, uh, but I did. But I do have code written, and I'm looking at my code, and there's at least uh, <laughs> uh, an attempt at it. But just to sum up basically what it is, is you're given some data um, that has dots and uh, hashes, and you're trying to find the point either vertically or horizontally on it, where if you were to flip it over uh, on itself, it makes a mirror. So basically trying to find mirror images of data. And 
this feels like something that has an algorithm that's obvious to figure out data that has the, that point of incidence, but I didn't know what it was, so I was just, you know, kind of doing it, excuse me, doing it naively, as I, I will keep using, just as uh, when you don't know the, the super math shortcut, you know, you're just, like, going through each line and checking to see where mirror images occur. Um, I was not able to find anything beyond that, so I'm curious what you guys did to solve this one i can go first uh yeah, i go for it. I, I had a million off by one errors in this one this was such a pain uh mm. that I, I actually called it out in my notes i'm like, just i just wrote so many off by one errors <laughs> um my basic strategy that i ended up doing for part one uh which did not work for part two uh was to find all mirrored pairs that are adjacent in the uh map and then mm-hmm. uh, count out, like, and then like grow outwards from there until I reached an edge. Because something that was not obvious to me by reading the problem statement, and I've gone back and read it several times, and it's still not obvious to me, is there were multiple places where you might have a row or a column mirrored, and it might even mm-hmm. go out a couple. Uh, but unless it reached all the way to the edge, it didn't count <laughs> as being mm-hmm. the thing. And that was not obvious. So I wasted a bunch of time around that. Um, once I got that out there, then once I was able to grow my mirrored pair out to the edge, then I just found the the one that was, I think, the longest or whatever, or the 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 biggest path, and then that that was the one that we needed to use. Richard, how did you go about doing it? Yeah, basically the same way. I went and found, tried to find one that was symmetric, and then once I found one that was doubled up, I went out and out and out, and as long as one side hit the edge. Um, before they stopped duplicating, uh, I knew that was the answer to that, and I just stopped after that point. That 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 sounds like what I should have done, but I did not do that somehow. <laughs> and then there was part two. Uh, yeah, so part what's two, part two, guys? So part two, they kind of combined uh, with. It, it reminded me of the previous one, uh, where where we had like an unknown and we needed to figure out. But here, every single mirror. Because that, that, the hashes that we were matching, I think, represented mirrors in this giant valley of mirrors, has a smudge on it. <laughs> uh... But they don't tell you where the smudge is. So you have to figure out, where is the smudge? And so to do that, you have to do basically everything you did before, but assuming that there might be a smudge somewhere. Um, I... I I, n- I didn't get this one. Um, I, it looked really obnoxious. My first idea was to create like a matches function that takes in two strings and returns if they match and if not, how far off they are, and then use that. And then the number of off areas has to be one at most. And I was like, that seems like a good way to go. I just, I, this one just frustrated me uh, to even look at. So I, <laughs> I didn't do it. So, Richard, inform us. So, for this one, like, so I, I guess like the there's a hash that is a mirror and a dot that's not a mirror and one of them is wrong and so I did it the dumbest way possible and just went through every single thing and can flipped it to be opposite of what it was and then ran my initial algorithm to find um, where the symmetries were. The thing that threw me off, however, was that the original symmetry might still be there. But there is at least one additional symmetry with the change that is made. 
And mm. um, so I had to keep track of the symmetries that were that occurred in the original solution. And if that one pops up, I have to go, nope, that wasn't it. That was one we already found and continue looking. Um, and then after that, like the next one you found was general, was the one that you wanted to go and report on. And so I just, I just did that for every single, every, every single tile. <laughs> I, I flipped it to what it wasn't and uh, tried. That makes well, sense. Okay. Yeah. I, I considered doing that, and I was like, that's going to take forever, and so I just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out this is one of the few places where it doesn't take the uh, end of the universe to uh, try oh, everything. Good. Yeah, I I think this is about the point where I was on vacation for the rest of the <laughs> of the year. And so mm-hmm. anytime I did anything, it was during my, like, oh, I'm stuck on a plane, or... Everyone's asleep and I and it's, it's dark out and I don't want to go out because it's negative fifteen degrees outside or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so if it wasn't fun, I often just didn't do it. So this one, I was like, no, I'm not having fun doing this anymore. Plus, I didn't have my whiteboard because uh, I was in a different country. And and also for those listening, like, uh, yeah, this is often about the time in the advent of code event where it starts getting to those points where you're like, if you're not having fun, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe not worth it to beat your head uh, on it. I mean, I, yeah, I, I stopped getting them in general at this point, but I did get a few, uh, I got, it looks like, well, our next one we're about to talk to 14, part of 14, both of 15 and I got 19. So it's one thing that I've had to remind myself that if like one comes up that you're just not you know jiving with that it's not like a rope it's not a it's not a wall it's just a bump and really you should go over the bump because the difficulty can be totally different and you could totally grok like the next one richard why don't you tell us about day 14 parabolic reflector dish i found this one fun and i think that's why i ended up getting at least the first part i also did oh this is this is the one where there are a whole bunch of rocks in the field, and if you tilt the platform, you can make the rocks all go to one side or another, running into various obstacles along the way. It was a little bit like a like Labyrinth or Legend of Zelda type puzzle, where it's like, okay, yeah. tilt this thing, all the rocks slide down. Tilt it this way, all the rocks slide that way. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you need to go and calculate the load caused by it, which is essentially, um, let's see, how did you calculate the load? It was it like how many with... rocks were on one edge of it at the end. Oh, okay. So the the load each each of the rows had a number associated with them, right. and so the load was the number of rocks on a particular row times the row number. Um, and you, you calculate, you, you add them all up to get the total amount of load. And, um, so you, you go and you hit the lever and did the, did part one go all, all the directions or just one direction? I can't just remember. North. It just tipped it North. And then you had to calculate the, okay, or no, so, maybe, yeah. maybe it went all directions. Yeah, once. it was. Yeah, it does. It, yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah, here's it. Uh, start by tilting the lever. So all the rocks will slide North. Okay. So. All, all on the on part one, you just had to hit the lever, and all the rocks go and roll 
to the north, and then you have mm-hmm. to determine how the load is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think that's basically the summary. Um, and so I, for for me, I just did the the simulation of rock goes until it hits thing, and mm-hmm. then add. That's exactly what I did. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah, I had a rock class and a platform class, and I just made them behave as they would. <laughs> Simulate I, world. Just yeah, move I, all I, the rocks until they collide with something. I, I just had the platforms. I didn't even make a rock class because I didn't think the rock had sentience of any function. <laughs> um, so. I, put, I, I made the rock class because it made it easier to say, move this rock north, right? Oh, I see. Uh, okay. Move it west. Yeah. And specifically, compute load. Uh, was a function I had on the rock, so I could just go through and, like, for each rock, do this thing. Um, ah, very cool. OOP in action, everybody. <laughs> F- so we all actually got part four, uh, part one, but part two was another uh, not only big number, uh, but also now you had to do it all four directions. And yeah, uh, I-, I believe I got, like, you know, I was able to use my code uh, modified... I think I figured out all the directions in part one just because it seemed obvious that part two was going to be like, it was weird that it only went one direction. And that was a basically a code smell for advent of code that (laughs) they were going to make you roll it both, you know, in West, South and East as well, which they do and then do it a ton of times. And I had the pretty much the, the unoptimized issue. So I was not able to get 14 two because what what I was doing was the brute force method, which did not work, at least in Ruby. Um, so what so what was the proper mathy way to do this? I always wonder. So it's not necessarily a mathy way. Uh, but I added a run cycle method to my platform, it's like a washing machine uh, class. Yeah, well, exactly. That's spin- exactly how I thought it too, of it too. <laughs> they called it spin cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah he um, knows what he's doing. And then what I did is I I kept a history of where I'd been so that I was able to detect cycles because. What usually happens with these kind of problems is you move it. You basically would go. What was it like? North, south, east, west. I don't remember the actual order that it would. It yeah. wouldn't be that order. Like northwest, southeast, probably. Um, and then you would do it again and again and again. Um, but eventually, all the rocks would end up at the same place uh, at some point in time as they had been in the past. And so then from that, uh, I was able to figure out cycles so that I didn't have to, so that I could just jump huge multiples mm. at a time instead of uh <laughs> instead of rotating uh, 10 million times it was because it was what was the actual numbers it was thousand million it, it was, was like it a was trillion like a million cycles yeah you know I'll, I'll say matt that because i've been doing 2015 in python i've been mm-hmm. trying to think more pythonically and i really like that python lets you put uh underscores in a long number so it's easier to read i don't know if if uh i don't think ruby does that which is what I was doing this year in. And man, that's that's some good stuff right there. Every programming yeah. language should do that. Yeah, because just looking at a big sequence of numbers, uh, my I, I lose track real fast. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's easy to the do. The big mistake I ran into in doing this problem was uh, not making sure to start from the tilting two side. Um first otherwise they'd collide too early so i when i was actually figuring out where the rocks were going to go if you when i was moving them you have to start with the rocks that are closest to the side they're going to slide into otherwise you might collide with a rock that's going to be moving it was just a dumb mistake on my part 
And the second biggest uh, issue I made was cycles don't have to go back to the starting state. They just had to go back to a state that they had been in. So my Mm. stock condition was wrong at first. And then I started just printing things out and I went, oh, hey, it repeats there. Oh, that's on the third. Okay. (laughs) So there's like you have N before the cycle. Then you have X cycles and then A afterwards just to completely go arbitrary. Uh variable names <laughs> how'd you do it richard <laughs> i i did it i think essentially the same way that you did is i i i looked for a uh a cycle and saw try to figure out when the w- after it repeated uh and i went back to the beginning of the cycle and then did it an offset from there uh to um like 1 billion minus the cycle count to get the offset and then did the modulus math to get all the way back to a, a billion, um, which I think is the same way that you did it, right? It sounds like it, yeah. And then I I hashed it in a really stupid way, just taking the entire string and uh, the entire resulting string that for the uh, thing and hashed the whole thing. And Oh, that's how I did cycle. it too. <laughs> That's always the easiest hash. It's just like, here's a string representing the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm taking notes here on the things you guys are saying that, so that I can eventually go back and uh, look at these. Uh, I love that I have this website that I made with, <laughs> with, with all of the des- descriptions and my inputs and notes about it because I never did that before. And so I don't have notes about what I was thinking about previous years. So the ones that I didn't get or, or almost got, you know, Trying to go back to them is probably going to be, it's going to be a lot harder to like remember where my mindset was there. So thank you, Matt, for starting me on that road to thinking about keeping track of that. And then thank you past me for making it a website because that's what I do. So yeah, that's day 14. Uh, let's see, day 15, Matt, why don't you take, and I actually got both parts of this. So yeah. lens library, go for it. Uh, I, I'm rereading it just so that I can try to summarize it because it's a rather lengthy and complicated description. Um, yeah. Basically, you have uh, our goal here is to get the lava production back up and running without melting everything down. And we get uh, effectively um, a, just a sequence of of letters and then a symbol and possibly a number. Um, and those have uh, specific meanings uh, but to start with, they were just like, Hey, compute the hash value. And then they gave you an algorithm specifically for how to compute the hash. And it's like, take the first character and multiply it by 17 and then divide by the remainder. And then t- it was, it, it was a silly hash algorithm, but it, it worked. Um, <laughs> part two got more complicated, obviously. Uh, but, uh, part two was the real with- problem to be honest. Yes. To start with, it was like, run the hash algorithm on each step in the initialization sequence. What's the sum of those results? So it's like, did you get did you get the hash algorithm right? <laughs> Basically what yeah, that question asked. Pretty much. Um, I thought this one was pretty straightforward, uh, at least part one. Uh, I This is the first one I did on the plane. Um, and I know this because I couldn't confirm my part one for like 11 hours. <laughs> <gasps> you didn't have Wi-Fi? <laughs> Come on. Nope. I did it, and I was like, well, this is annoying. Um because for a while I didn't have a I didn't have internet, and then for a while I didn't have access to my computer. Uh, but ultimately, it was pretty straightforward. Um, 
There wasn't much to part one. I just ran each sequence through the hashing algorithm and summed it up. How'd you guys do it? Uh, I was just going to say exactly that. Um, Ran through their algorithm, summed it up. Yes. uh, I I also did it the same way. I think the only only gotcha on this one was not reading the the description properly because I... I think this was the one where I wasn't sure it was this one where, where I wasn't sure where like like it started or maybe that was a later one. And and it was a really obvious one, like always started at this thing. It was like one line in this incredibly long description that said always start. I think this is the realization that you made in part two and then posted it to the, the group where you found that line. Yeah. So the, part one yeah, was I, not that. Right, because because I figured out the hash and I was like, okay, I can run this hash on everything. But like, how do you know where to start it? And I was like, I think I was doing it alphabetically, like by label or something like that. And and I was not getting the right answer. I'm like, what the heck? And then there was like a thing. Oh, you know, start at the hash of this thing label. I'm like, oh. And then it all came together. So yeah, Th- this one was yeah was a nice uh, reprieve, I guess, from some of the earlier ones. Uh, but also, sure. uh, you know, just a cool problem. So yeah, yeah. Part two, part two of this, they ramped up the the difficulty considerably, but I still thought it was relatively straightforward. Where now you have uh, not only that initialization sequences and hashes, but you have all these boxes that things are going to go into, and you're you're trying to figure out where the lenses are going to go, and you're computing focal lengths and all sorts of fun uh, stuff. And it it ended up being more of a like a little programming language um, than just hashing because then it was like, okay, if you see this type of symbol, that means it's a, you know, if, if it's a dash, then you go to that box and remove that lens. But if it's an equal sign, then you go over there and you need to put it into that box. And then here's a label maker so you can write things down. So it became mm-hmm. more complicated and you were trying to figure out what, um, I guess there were lenses ended up in which box. Uh, total, and then we had to figure out the focusing power based on that. Um, I I think the biggest challenge in part two for me was understanding the problem. Uh, I think it was it, <laughs> partly I was very jet lagged, and partly it's just confusing. Um, it was not super easy to read through. It's a long problem, mm-hmm. um, and then I completely missed one line in it that made it so much more difficult. Uh, to get the sample to work, which was the result of running the hash algorithm on the label indicates the correct box for that step, um, which was just for wh- whatever reason, I, I did not read that. And I got very, very confused about where things <laughs> needed to go and started making assumptions and uh, didn't do it. I also missed the word replace as in in place and thought it was removing and re-adding. So I was mm. like taking something out and putting it at the end. But instead you had to replace it in in situation, uh, yeah. which was again not super clear. Uh, this is one of the few I did not create any classes for, um, <gasps> but it would have made my code a lot easier to understand if I had. Um, also, had to realize that I had to, I had to only hash the label and not the whole string. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, step and then the overall the algorithm was step one: get every lens in the right spot. Step two: iterate through the boxes and the lenses in the box to get the focusing power. Yeah, I I made. Three classes. I made a box class, I made a lens class, and I made a step class, uh, which was mainly just for ease of use to to uh, see the process. I mean, I, I always add way more code 
in the beginning just so I can see the inner workings of what's happening. Because, you know, I'll make yeah. assumptions like, oh, I did this right. And then I'll get the wrong answer. And I'll be like, oh, wait, let's put a let's put a print line in there. And like, oh, no, that that's not doing what you think it's doing. And then and then I have to go in and comment that all out at the end or get rid of it. So, yeah. OK, so I think we all agreed that one was doable. And now we're going to get to day 16, which definitely uh, is where I drop off completely. Um, I mean, I, not that I didn't attempt any of these. I do have some code for some of them, but I did not get any of them until 19, and that was just part one. So uh, I will read part 16, or uh, day 16, and then uh, turn it over to you guys. Uh, so this is day 16. The floor will be lava. Let's see. I'm... Oh, right. No, this one, I actually, when I read it, I was like, ooh, this is cool. This reminds me of this board game that I played that's like called, that's laser chess, essentially, where you try to move pieces and rotate them against an opponent so that when you push the little button that shoots the laser out, it, you know, binks and bonks off everything and hits their king or or whatever Egyptian uh, <laughs> chess uh, replacement uh, they had. Um, so I was like, ooh, that's, that's cool. That's going to be fun to play around with. Um, but looking at my code... Uh, I have a move class, a beam class, a tile map class, which essentially is a grid class, and I got lots of code on this one, actually, so I must have really tried, but I, I'm i not sure where I ended up, but I don't think I got anywhere near actually... Oh, that's right. I never... I spent so much time just trying to map out the initial data, but I never <laughs> really got into the logic of hitting uh, the different... Uh, mirrors and splitters so that they the laser would go different ways um i think i just ran out of time and then i just never came back to it so i think i know how to do it i think i was on the right course but i have no idea what the twist in part two was so i will now turn it over to you all since i think both of you got this one yes so go for it richard you go ahead sure so the the tricky part of this one was like as you have the beams that are going through the little maze thing, um, they can be split and they can be um, put in a way that there are infinite loops. So you can't just go and mm. follow the beam forever. Um, and that took a little bit of annoyance to get around. Um, I think in part one, I actually... So I, had, I set up a queue to uh, process things um uh the the next beam uh iteration etc and in part one i didn't feel like figuring out a good way to uh keep track of if i'm in a loop or not and so i literally just took a random element from my queue uh <laughs> and and solved for that and then hoped that enough steps after enough steps went by that it would be correct. And for part two, that did not work. So I actually had to solve it correctly, but um, yeah. So, so that, that was my major issue for, for part one anyways, the, the infinite potential infinite loops. Yeah. I had, I, I ran into a similar issue, although I did end up solving it, but I ran into another issue that I didn't solve. Um, so this was one where I took some time to refactor uh, previous things. So I took my, a class that I wrote in day 14 for positions that was starting to make uh, things a little easier for me to handle. Like, can I go that way or is it blocked or, you know, what happened? What's the coordinates if I move this, if I'm north of this position, right? Um, and then I, I made classes for a grid tile, a pairing, which was a grid tile to a grid tile and a grid. 
Um, and my main process was starting at the starting tile and heading in the direction. Add each next to be visited tile to a queue paired with the from tile. Because you need to know where you were coming from so that you mm -hmm. knew where you were going uh, so that you could figure out the direction. I kept getting very confused about which direction I was talking about as I was writing my code, if it was the inbound or the outbound connection uh, or direction. Um, and then to deal with the infinite loops, I, I eliminated all the out-of-bound tiles first. And then I had a history or visited list to keep track of pairings that I'd already seen. Um, that was to avoid the infinite bouncing. Uh, biggest issue was uh, that the starting tile in my input was not a uh, dot tile. It was <gasps> really? a mirror tile. What? But in the sample, that was not the case. And I assumed that it was going to be a dot. And so, like, kept getting the wrong answer until I finally realized, oh, you you might bounce initially. Um, that was just a bad assumption on my part. Uh, my sample ran fast, but my actual input for part one took 87 seconds to finish. I <laughs> uh, never figured out why. I always intended to run it through a profiler to figure it out, but I was on vacation and I didn't want to. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at my input now, and you're not the only one. Yeah, my my first my entry point is not a dot either, so I hadn't even considered that. Um, part two of this, so Mike, you don't have part two. I don't know. Okay, so part two of this, uh, the beam could enter from any edge tile, mm. and as long as it was heading away from that edge, um, and you can choose uh, either of two directions if it starts on a corner, which means. We need to try every single one, basically. Um, so the beam could start on any tile in the top row, any tile in the bottom row, any tile on the left or the right, heading in those directions. And then our goal was to find the configuration that would start, that energized as many tiles as possible. Which <laughs> of basically course. Meant the beam of light went across them. Um, I, uh, I wrote, I'm on vacation or I'd have tried to fix my 87 -ish second issue above. Uh, in my notes. Um, instead, what I did is I just ran through every possible starting tile and direction, and I just let it run overnight. Um, and then I returned the max of the above possibilities. I could have made it more efficient, but I didn't, is, was the bottom line. Richard, how'd you do it? So for part two, uh, going in from any direction, I did the same thing as you did, is just starting from them all. I don't know if there is another way to do that. Um, for part two, I did have to take care of my other issue for instead of I, I realized that it was probably a bad idea to just randomly select something from my from my um queue uh and so i set up a map that kept track of what had been processed based off of the location and direction and um that wasn't hard and i should have just done it originally but i didn't and Mine didn't have the super long runtime. I don't know what I did differently because it sounds like I essentially solved it in the same way. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think part two with, oh, there was one issue where um, I had forgotten to reset my map of things that had been explored between each of the runs. And I was not getting the correct number of things that were being activated and that that took mm. a little while for me to realize my being dumb. I think I actually did something similar. If not on this one, then on a past one. Uh, but I definitely remember running into the situation of like, oh, I, I'm, I'm counting things that are not true for this, this run. Yeah. Um, 
I, I did this, I, this solving that problem actually helped me solve problem 13, which I had not solved at this point um, earlier because I realized that my error was exactly the same error of not resetting a map on problem 13. <laughs> uh, so, so as someone who has not gotten this one yet, like it sounds like it definitely was important that, you know, your data structure is keeping track of all this stuff. Um, like, like you said, like where it comes in, what direction it's going, where it's been, where it's, you know, where it's going to, from which direction it's going to that. Uh, cause I find that sometimes I always, I always worry that I'm like keeping track of too much stuff. And so in the end, that's why uh, it takes forever to run. And I'm not finding like, you know, the, the shortest, most efficient path through the problem. Uh, but it seems like at this point on day 16, yeah. you really have to start keeping track of all that stuff to even get close to finishing something. Well, I think that's going to do it for part one of our Advent of Code 2023 wrap-up, uh, day 11 through 16. Uh, we'll be back next time with the rest of the puzzles, day 17 through the end. Uh, we want to thank our special guest, Richard, for being with us today. Uh, he will be back for part two. Uh, but you can also listen to other episodes of our podcast at hackingthegrepson.com. And until next time, we now return you to your regularly scheduled lives already in progress. 